Hey everyone, welcome to the Made in Music podcast. I'm Riley Taylor, our community manager here at Bull Circle Music, and I'm so excited for you to hear this upcoming episode because today we get the privilege to hear from Brad O'Donnell about what music industry professionals are looking for in an artist. He's the co-president of Capital Christian Music Group, and his ambitious vision has helped him excel in a wide variety of roles from A&R to marketing and promotion. This was recorded at our 2023 Music Makers Bootcamp here in Nashville, Tennessee. This is an immersive experience where you get to learn directly from music industry professionals and connect with other high-level music makers. If you want more information about our upcoming Music Makers Bootcamp, head to musicmakersbootcamp.com. For now, let's dive into the episode. Thank you, guys. It's, um, it's great to see all of you. It's good to be here. Um, have you had like a really good conference so far? When did you guys start? Was it Thursday, yesterday? Yeah, I've been hearing great things. So um, last year was my first time. Being, at, uh, being with Full Circle at this event. I loved it, and I was very glad that Seth invited me back again. So um, that was quite the introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, the title for my talk I know sounds a little bit official and formal. It's not meant to be. Really, this is just what I've done for the last 20 years. You know, I've had a front row seat working with a lot of great artists and writers and being inside of a label and getting to be inside studios. And so when Seth gave me this title, I thought... At, at the very least, that's what I wake up and think about every day, so that's an easy thing for me to talk about. Um, I'll leave a little bit of time for Q&A at the end, and, and really what I'm going to do today is just kind of share with you three lists. Um, the first list will be what we're not looking for, because I think that's important. I think there's a lot of misconceptions when people are looking for record deals or publishing deals or managers, what they think they're looking for. Um, one of them is what I would call universal attributes that, we're, that I'm at least always looking for, that I think are really important to succeed and then the last would be unique attributes, you know, things that not every artist has, but when an artist has them, it makes them more attractive. Um, so anyways, before I get started, a little bit about myself. I grew up like a huge music fan, probably like all of you. From the earliest time I can remember, um, I was listening to music and moving to music and wanted to be around music. And I tried every instrument at my elementary school that they let me play. When I was growing up in fourth grade, you could play violin and I was not very good at that and then in fifth grade you could pick a wind instrument so I picked saxophone and I wasn't very good at that and then my sixth grade year I picked um I picked piano and I wasn't very good at that and so my music career looked like it was going to be short-lived but in high school when I was a freshman there was a band that formed in my neighborhood and they had every instrument except um a bass and so I asked for a bass for Christmas and it really was love at first sight like once I started playing I think both playing an instrument, being able to make music, and being able to make music with others, that's all I cared about. That's all I wanted to do. And so that led me to, I went to the University of Miami. I was a music student. I got a degree. Believe it or not, you can get, I think you can still do this. You get a four-year degree in bass performance. So that's what I did. I played bass for four years, and that's what my college degree says. And then I stayed and got a master's degree. I stayed for two more years, which was awesome. But while I was there, I met my wife, who was a singer, and I started writing songs. I'd written songs in high school, um, but I started taking it really seriously and started writing songs and cutting class to start writing songs. And the other thing that was happening was I was, I was exploring my faith. And so, you know, when you're a songwriter, you write about what you're feeling and what you're thinking about what you're going through. So those were the songs that I wrote. And they got in the hands of a, um, a small independent label here in Nashville. When I say small, it was two guys in a basement small. Like, I didn't know that that probably wasn't definitely not where I work now. Not a major label for sure. Um, but we were passionate and we made records and we spent a lot of time on them and those records got a little bit of attention and did pretty well. But like a lot of small companies, they weren't super well funded. So eventually they, they ran out of money. 
And that forced me to go get a real job, like a nine to five. And as I mentioned, I had a four-year degree in base. So I had limited, a limited skill set. But um, a job in A&R came open. And I thought I'd like to try it. And I've never looked back since then. I was at a company called Word Records, if you know it, for about a year and a half. And then I moved over to Capital 20 years ago now. It's been a couple decades. And I've, I've loved it. What I love about it is um, A&R, if you don't know, stands for Artists and Repertoire. And it's an old title. It's been around for a long time. Um, you know, back in the days of Frank Sinatra, when literally, I don't know if you know this, but artists used to make records in a day. So an A&R person would go find the songs, they'd get the charts written, they would get the band book, they'd get the studio book, they'd make sure that Frank was at the studio on time. And then he would sing all the songs live with the orchestra and they'd make a record in a day. And so obviously the, the music business has changed significantly, but A&R still has the same function. It's finding the artist that the company's going to work for in its repertoire. It's helping them find and develop their sound and their music. So anyways, with that, we'll, uh, we'll get into the presentation. Um, the first thing, I told you the first list would be what we're not looking for. Um, the, the way I thought of it was uh, one thing we're not looking for is, is one size fits all. Um, I think sometimes you can come to a conference like this or you can read articles online and whatever. It's like the secret to getting a, starting a career in music. My big lesson has been there's definitely not one way to do it. Every artist is unique. There's no formula. Um, you could certainly learn from the stories of others. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute. I'm definitely a believer in learning stories and hearing and letting people share with you their stories and mistakes. But everybody's story is different, and you, you can't replicate it. There's going to be one piece about you or about them that makes their story different than yours. So a little bit to me like cooking. Like, I don't know if any of you guys like to cook for fun on the weekends, but... I mean, not only can two people have the same ingredients and make the same recipe and it doesn't taste the same, I've made the same recipe with the same ingredients multiple times and it doesn't taste the same. It's like there's always something a little different. There's so many variables that it just makes it very hard to, to formulate something. So while these will all be ideas today and they'll be subjective, I hope you don't leave feeling like um, there's a formula to all of this because there isn't. The second thing I'd say that we're not looking for is what's hot now. And I think that's a little bit confusing, too, because um, certainly industry professionals, part of their job is to pay attention to the market, to what's happening in the market, um, what trends are, what kind of music is being consumed by fans. Um, but if you think about it, you know, with a recording artist, if you were to sign a deal and develop and get your music out, by the time you got to market, the sound might have changed a little bit. And so while there's definitely an eye toward trends and what's happening in the market, um, I don't know that it's wise for any industry professional to only look for that. The other thing I would say that I've observed over the years is I can't tell you how many times um, something has come along and been very successful that was literally the opposite of what was happening in the market. Um, I work with an artist named Chris Tomlin, and he's a big deal now, as you know. Like when I first started working with him, he most definitely was not a big deal. And, and uh, our radio format, I can remember seeing sheets when our radio team would call out and they'd say, will you play Chris Tomlin's song? And, and most Christian radio stations would say no, which is funny now because they play a lot of Chris Tomlin. But the reason they gave was they said, people don't like to hear worship music Monday through Saturday. They want to hear it on Sunday morning going to church or coming from church. And obviously 20 years later, it's completely different. And so had Chris changed who he was because, hey, what you're doing is not really in vogue right now. You need to do this because this is what the fans want. Um, he would not have gotten very far. And I, that's just one example. I've seen that happen over and over again. So definitely uh, not what's hot now. Um, this is the list where I want to talk about some of the attributes that I'll say for me that I'm always looking for. Um, 
you, you try not to compromise on anything. And as I said a minute ago, every artist is unique, but there are certain things I think, at least when I run my filter through and I'm meeting with somebody, these are the things that I'm always looking for. Um, if any of them are missing, I, I've observed over time, it, it can cause problems down the road. The first one, and it's at the top of the list because I think it's the most important, is integrity or character. Um, everybody defines integrity and character a little different, I think. I like the definition, just you're true to your word. You do what you say you're going to do. Um, you take responsibility when something's your fault. Um, you put the success of others ahead of yourself. Those are some of the ways I would define integrity or character. And I've found character and integrity are tricky. They're probably tricky in any business. Music business is no different. Um, because usually there's a shortcut, right? If, if you make a mistake and if you can hide it, that might save you a little grief in the near term. But in the long run, people find out. They find out that you're somebody that doesn't own up to the mistakes that they made. So in character and integrity, I would say don't reveal themselves right away. What I've always found is usually after about six or nine months, most of us, you get to know a person. They out themselves. And so in the A&R process, usually it's, it's a little like dating. People make that analogy a lot. You're, you do a couple phone calls. You take a meeting. Maybe you fly out to meet them in their hometown to see them play a live show. And so it, it takes time, but usually you can start to determine, is this someone who's a person of their word and who does what they say they're going to do or not? So in my personal opinion, this should be at the top of everybody's list because uh, I think if it is, whatever you do, you'll find success. The second universal attribute would be people who are listeners and learners. Um, and I found that to be consistent as well. So I haven't found any exceptions to this. Great creatives and executives are listeners and learners. Um, I found that the most successful people are both smart and sensitive. You know, they're always listening. They're always learning. They're always adjusting what they think and what they do. They're not afraid to change their opinion. Um, the other thing I think that's interesting is they listen regardless of someone's position. You know, I think we all would say if we met somebody who was really wise or experienced that we'd want to hear what they had to say about a particular area. But what's interesting, and I, I watch this happen with artists all the time, is they'll develop a group of people that they share their music with who are normal listeners. My 18-year-old daughter, Fallon, is in the room. And I remember when I was working with Toby Mac on his records, and he would send them to me and he would say, hey, can you play this for Fallon? This is probably 10 years ago when she was eight. And he said, can you tell me exactly what she says? Because he wanted to know, like, you're a professional, whatever, you're a suit. I want to know what a real fan, someone who's eight years old, thinks about my music. And I've seen that happen over and over again. I think artists are smart. They're listening to the experts, but they're also just, they find other people in the world who have something to, uh, to add. I do want to clarify I don't think that means listen to everyone. So listen to people who are in different positions, whether they're experts or not, but don't listen to everyone. Because the flip side of that coin is um, everybody's going to have an opinion about what you do. And I think it's okay to look at the source who's telling you this thing. And, and if they might have a career or a lifestyle that you think, well, that, that's not where I'm going anyway. So they may feel a certain way about me or what I'm doing, but that's all right that they don't get it because I'm not headed to the same destination that they are. Um, but all that said, the last thing I'll say is about listening and learning is don't be afraid of criticism. Um, I'm, I can be a sensitive soul, and I know I found most creatives are. You know, it's like showing somebody your baby when you show them your music or your songs or something that you created, and it can be hard when they're like, I don't like it, you know? I don't think it's great. But I found in those instances, if I can just, I don't have to agree with them, I don't have to change anything, but if I could just be quiet and listen for a minute, you know, if I could say, that's interesting. What don't you like about it? They might say something that even if I disagree, they, for example, they might say, well, I can't understand the words. 
well, that's helpful feedback. Maybe the vocal's a little quiet in the mix that I have. And so, anyways, it's, I think it's, uh, it's tempting to, at times when somebody doesn't like it to just move on as a creative and find someone who does because as creatives, we get life from that. It feels good when somebody, and we need that. We need people who cheer us on. But I also think I've learned the most often from people who were critical of what I did. And, and that's a lot of what I try and do in my job, too. The, uh, the next universal attribute I thought of was work ethic. Um, the most successful people outwork everyone else. It was interesting when um, I was moving into the role of leadership in my company. I wish I could find it. it was, I think it was a Harvard Business Review article, but it was a study of the top 500 CEOs in America. And what they were trying to figure out was, you know, what, what attributes do they have in common? Are they extroverts or are they introverts? Are they technical experts or are they more people people? You know, and what the article's findings were, which I thought were really interesting, was... People who are leaders are all different types of people. But the one thing they had in common was they were probably the hardest working person in their company. And I've definitely seen that with artists. Um, you know, it's easy. I know I felt this way before I got to peek behind the curtain. Their lifestyles look glamorous, right? It's like they're on stage. They're in front of a bunch of people. They're releasing music. Other people are posting. They have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions maybe of followers on Instagram. When you peek behind the curtain, there's a lot, a lot of hard work that goes into it. And so... Um, I would just encourage you, you guys are here, I'm assuming, because you're committed to your careers and whatever you're pursuing in music. You're not afraid to work hard. You're not afraid to take a few vacation days. You're not afraid to chase your dream a little bit. But I would just uh, encouraging, could encourage you with that. You know, we all want to, over time, we want to work smarter rather than harder. But what I've found is most of us, I don't know how you find smarter until you've worked harder. You've just done a lot of reps, if that makes sense. I mean, when Aaron and I were pursuing the, the um, record deal I mentioned a minute ago, I didn't know what to do. We were in Miami, Florida, and I knew that the music we'd made was faith-based and that I thought maybe some label in Nashville might be interested. So at the time, the Gospel Music Association had a, a printed guide they would sell you, and it had addresses of every manager, agent, and record company in Nashville. And so I didn't know anything. So I bought 500 mailers, and I sent our CD to all 500 people in the book. And then this is like back before cell phones. I called all of them. I just they had their number in the book too. So I'd call them. My name is Brad O'Donnell. I sent you a CD. Did you get it? I'm not encouraging this, by the way. That, that was definitely not working smart. Um, I would definitely not do that today. But I was working hard. And I think over time, I learned how to work smarter. And, and most people do. But I think it starts with working hard. Um, the next attribute I would say is being competitive. Um, another article I remember reading a few years ago, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Clive Davis. He was an executive that started Arista Records, very successful for decades. He was asked in Billboard magazine, what is the number one um, quality that you think it takes to make it in the music business? And I thought it was interesting because he said competitive. And I remember at the time thinking, um, you know, I thought would think more creative or talented or, um, I don't know, hardworking, like I just said. But he said competitive. And I I think there's a, um, I, I have found that to be true. In my own experiences, I've worked with different creatives and artists and songwriters and producers. You know, yes, they got into it to make music, but at some point, the reason they, they built a team, whether it's a record label or a publisher or whatever, is because they wanted to reach a lot of people and they're competitive. And usually it's the healthy kind of competition. I mean, sometimes it's the unhealthy, like, I want to beat you which is okay too, but I think the, the right kind of competitiveness is competitiveness with myself. I want to climb this mountain. I want to get to the top of it. I have a goal and a dream and a vision, and I'm just going to keep going until I get it. Um, 
it's interesting because when I work with artists, usually they're charming at first. I mean, they're, they're usually good people, people. You meet them and they're fun to talk to. So you don't see that side of them at first. But what I can tell you is once their music gets into the market and the first single goes to radio and it's not going as fast as they hoped it would, then I get the phone call. Hey, why is my single not working? Why did this thing that we talked about, is it not going as well? Not in an accusatory way, just because what I've observed is they're, they're hard on themselves and therefore they expect a lot of their team. They expect a lot of themselves, therefore they expect a lot of the people they work with. I love that. I don't know why I would want to give my time and my energy to somebody who didn't have high expectations for themselves. So I don't mind that they have high expectations of me and our company as well. So anyways, I think that's a really important uh, thing to keep in mind. The next universal attribute I'm looking for is vision. Um, and I would define that as a sense of purpose for their music, who they want to reach and how they want to reach them. Um, it's, it's always interesting to me, and I'll give you like the inside scoop. And not everybody does this, but if you're in an A&R meeting, one of the questions I usually ask is, who are you making music for? Like, why do you want to make music? Who are you trying to reach? And what's fascinating to me is the best artists have an answer, like right there. They can tell you, right? Like I remember one artist who's uh, very famous saying, he's a worship leader, and he said, um, I can hear a group of people singing inside my head. I want to write the songs that I hear them sing. And another one of them, he lived in New York, and he said, I think about that kid who has to ride the subway into the city every day and maybe doesn't have, like, an amazing community or a church around him. Like, I want to be their friend. I want when they put their earbuds in and they listen to my music that it reaches them. One other artist, he made music that was really appealing to the whole family, and he said, when I write a song and I play it, I'm thinking about the family in the car together, having fun. I'm thinking about dad up front, mom driving, kids in the back seat. I want to make something that everybody connects with. And so anyways, your vision is very personal, right? It's up to you. But I would encourage you to spend time thinking about who are you making music for and being able to articulate it. It's like anything, right? If, if you go for a drive and you don't put into your GPS the exact location where you're going, it takes a lot longer to get there if you think you're just going to you know, find it when you see it. If you put it in, you, you can find a much straighter path to where you're going. The other thing that I would say is great about vision um, that I think people don't think about or know all the time is great artists say no a lot. You know, they get asked to do things and they just say that doesn't work. Usually when they're saying it, it's not because they don't want to do it. Maybe sometimes they're tired or there's something else going on, but often it's because it's not a fit for them. They know that's not what they were put here to do. They know it's not where they shine. They know it's not their purpose. And so I think when you have a great vision and a clear sense of your vision, it helps you make decisions. Because if you do pursue a career in music, you're going to have a bunch of people like me who have great ideas, right? We're going to say, I think you should do this. What if you wrote a song like this? And so as all these ideas are coming at you, if you don't have a grid or a filter to put them through, it's very confusing. I mean, I'm sure you guys, when I think of some of my favorite artists, I can remember them in interviews saying, yeah, I made that record. I'm not really proud of it. It didn't connect. And, you know, that, that's... I think smart artists don't want to make that mistake. Nobody gets 100% right, but in a perfect world, you're able to evaluate all the information coming at you because you have a clear sense of, of who you are. This one seems obvious. I put it last on the list, but because um, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I think talent is obviously an attribute you're looking for. You have to have this. Um, I think the reason I put it last is Sometimes people feel like there's one kind of talent, right? Like to get a record deal, you have to be an amazing singer. But we can all think of like great singers that we love who are great communicators. Um, you know, not everybody is Adele and has her pipes and can sing the way she does. But 
there are other people who are just amazing songwriters. And there's something about when they sing their own music, you feel it and you're really drawn to them. Some people are like a lot of bands are just really great live. Something happens when they're on stage. There's a chemistry, there's an electricity. So I always feel like talent is the ticket that gets you in the door because the inverse is also true, right? All of us in this room could name 10 people that we know that are unbelievably talented. Maybe one of the best singers you've ever heard, one of the best guitar players you've ever heard, and they're not famous. They're not pursuing it full time. That, that's why all those other attributes on the list are important. If you remember chemistry class, did you ever do one of those experiments where they, your chemistry teacher had you put all of these elements in a beaker and then there's the thing called the catalyst and you put that in and there's an explosion or smoke comes out or whatever. I feel like talent is kind of that way, that you can have talent, but it's really more how it mixes with these other attributes that makes a reaction happen for an artist. All right, so we'll move on to the, um, to the last list now. These are the attributes that I would say you find to some extent in different artists. Nobody has all of them. We talked about that earlier. Every artist is different. You know, getting back to the food analogy, I like to think of this as a menu a, a little bit and that it's like you're looking for some of these, not all of these, because nobody has it all. The first one is commercial viability. Um, you know, a, a person who's at a record company or a publishing company or management company has to believe that ultimately with your music, there's potential for an audience, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, they can't feed their family and work if your music can't reach a lot of people. So commercial viability is important. Um, there have been a number of people uh, who are very talented over the years, but for me, what I've observed is maybe what they do is so specific, like it's really good, but it's so specific that you think, I think this is only going to reach a limited amount of people. And so that would be something that I would say is excellent and they're really talented, but maybe it lacks commercial viability. Doesn't mean that the quality of what they're doing isn't great. It just means that it's going to be difficult to sustain a career and put a team around it. Um, another key question, which is connected to this, which sounds obvious, but it's something to think about is, do they want to reach a wide audience? I've met with a lot of really talented people who I think like the idea of making records, um, playing music for their friends, putting it out. But it's like when you talk about some of the things we talked about earlier, like here's what it's going to take to reach a lot of people and actually build a career. That's not really what they want at the end of the day. I've had the other thing happen too where I've worked with great artists who worked and at a certain point they felt as successful as I am, I'm just not happy. Like the cost of, of pursuing this is not something that I want. So commercial viability is a two-way street. To me, it's both about does what you're doing inherently have the ability to reach a wide audience and then recognizing what it's going to take. Is that a change you want to make? Is that something you want to pursue? And that's up to you. The next thing is measurables. This is a big buzzword in the music industry over the last three or four years. Um, if you're not aware, it's, you know, it's another word for data. But um, the whole kind of business industry has really changed, and music is no exception, right? They're looking at data all the time. Before, if you got a meeting with a, um, an A&R person at a record company, before you go in, they've looked at your Spotify page. They know how many monthly listeners you have, how many uh, streams your biggest song has. They've looked at your YouTube page. They know how many views are on your biggest video. They've looked at your Instagram page. They know how many followers you have. They've looked at your TikTok page. They know how many creations there are. So in my opinion, a good... A&R person is not making their decisions solely on this, but it's a factor, right? Because what they're trying to do is determine, I have to make a decision and essentially kind of put my job on the line and decide, do I think there's an audience for what this person does? Well, it helps if you can see that there already is an audience for what they do. Tons of people out there like it already. 
So that's why they're looking at that. Um, for some companies these days, I would say it's a non-negotiable. It's become a thing that they won't sign somebody. Have you ever heard that phrase, de-risked? Like taking the risk out of something? That's how they would view it. It's like, well, I could sign artist X, who I think is really talented, but I can't see any measurables yet. Or I could sign artist Y, maybe he's not as talented, but I could tell a lot of people like it already, right? So for somebody sitting at a music company, they may determine that's what they're going to do. You know, we're a little interesting as a company, and I don't mean this like we're doing it better than anyone else, but it is interesting. If you look at our, our story the last couple of years, we had an artist called We the Kingdom that was a family band that literally had never, I think they'd played one show. Um, they'd never been on socials before. They'd never released one song, so they had zero measurables. Um, two years ago, we released an artist named Ann Wilson. She was 16 when we signed her. She had no socials, nothing released online. She did have a video on YouTube that had gotten a little bit of reaction. So I would say for us, our philosophy is more, um, it's somewhere in between uh, data and gut. My, my boss at Universal says, and I like this, he says, if you're doing it all gut and no data, that's probably wrong. But if you're doing it all data and no gut, that's probably wrong. It's a weird kind of blend of both. You kind of want to use, and so there are moments where you just go, like in those two instances, I'm just going with gut. I just think this is really special and we're going to see what happens, see if anybody else likes it. But in, in most of the time, you're, you're looking at some measurables and some data too. The next one, and we talked about this earlier with talent, is musical songwriting or vocal ability. Um, I talked about talent earlier and how it varies and how you have to have some of it. Um, what I think is different about this is um, many successful performers lack one or even more than one of both of those things. And the other piece I would say about when I call it ability, is it's highly subjective, right? I mean, we've all played music for our friends or they've played it for us. And it's not just that you don't like it. You don't think it's very good. Like, you don't think the person sings very well. You don't think the song's very well written. But what is interesting about data and what we talked about a minute ago is you can see that somebody loves this. Look at these numbers. A lot of people are listening to it. And so, anyways, that's still uh, really important. Um, you know, just to prove how subjective it is, for example, at our company, when we have an artist come in, we'll come in and so we'll meet first and we'll meet like for three or four hours. We'll have a meet with different departments. And the reason is, is that first list, right? We're looking through all those things. Do we like this person? Do we think they're hardworking? Do we think they, they're smart? Do we think they're a person of character? But then usually in the afternoon, we'll have a, what we call a showcase. If you've ever heard of that before, it's like really hard for artists. I feel terrible for them. You're usually putting them in a super sterile environment for like 20 minutes and they have to play their music to a bunch of, you know, people with their arms crossed. Um, but it's, what's interesting is after that, we'll email the staff, whoever was at it, and we'll say, what did you think? What are your thoughts? And it's always fascinating to me because these are people who I think are really smart and they're all proven executives and I work with them all day, every day, and you will get radically different feedback. I didn't like this part. I love this part. I think this is one of the most exciting things we've looked at as a company. I don't get it at all. Are we really going to sign this artist? I mean, it's, it's literally all over the map. And so that's why I've got it on the second list is not because musical songwriter vocal ability aren't important, but because it's, it's, uh, it's very subjective in terms of how you define it. This next one is um, team. I think this is personally really important. Um, this could be a producer, a manager, attorney, agent, or some combination. Again, I think, um, and all the great artists I've ever worked with will say this, when you see them on stage, you think it's them, but you, you've probably heard them in a speech at an award show or something, say, I couldn't be here without my team, and They'll thank the people that work closely with them. It's all really true because I've seen both sides of it. I've seen 
uh, an artist that has a great team and they get even further than I thought they were going to because they've got really smart, hardworking, ethical people around them. And then you see people who um, are really talented and have their heart in the right place, maybe even made a great record, but they didn't have a manager that was the right fit. They didn't have the right booking agent that could get them on the right tours. And so I think this is um, really important, almost important enough that I'd put it in the top category, except that oftentimes artists, record companies are often the first people to sign on. Um, We usually give an advance, if you know what that term is, where it's like cash up front to an artist. And so because of that, usually they'll come to a record company first because they want to make sure they have that piece of the pie. Either record company or manager early on. So um, anyways, the other thing I would say about team that I think is important is you don't set it at the beginning of your career once and for all. You know, almost every artist who's had a long career has had to make changes. You know, maybe a piece of their team wasn't working as well as they hoped it would. Maybe um, over time their needs changed. They were kind of moving into a different part of the market and they needed somebody who did that. Maybe the manager's needs changed. Maybe when they started with them, the manager only had one artist and they had all sorts of time to give to the artist. And now the manager has a big roster because they're successful and they're not feel, don't feel like they're getting the time and attention that they need. So I would say it's okay to change your team over time, change your record label, change whatever. It happens. I'm a big believer in loyalty and sticking with who got you there. But it's also okay when it's not working to say, I need to adjust it. This next one I think is really important um, too, and it's, I think it's only become more important since social media really took off, which is visual identity. You, if you close your eyes and you think about your favorite artist, usually you can think of an image or a certain way that they look. You know, it might be more of a pop culture, fashion look, and that's really the artist brand, like a Dua Lipa. It might be, um, you know, tattoos and cut-off shorts like Post Malone. It's, you know, it's interesting. Our most uh, successful artist at our label is an artist named NF, who's a hip-hop artist. And he has a very black, white, and gray aesthetic. He doesn't, he's not photographed any other way. He wears very similar clothes. He's always photographed the same way. He's usually shaded in his face. You can't see him really well. But there's something about, it's consistent. And the way, hopefully, an artist's music is too. And to me, there's a very um, interesting and important marriage between the visuals and the music. Have you ever felt that when you, I don't know, you see an interesting picture and you think, like, I'm curious to hear this now. And then you listen and you're like, that is not at all what I thought it was going to sound like. Or vice versa. I always feel like the best artists, like their look and their sound go together. And in the age of social media where you just have to have a much more visual expression, it's more important, I think, than it's ever been. So the visual piece, I would say, is, is really critical. And this one's connected to that active socials. This is kind of connected to visuals. It's also kind of connected to what we talked about earlier with them. Um, uh, measurables, but I, I put this on here as active social just because I wanted to take a slightly different approach. Um, these tools are your best marketing. All the great stuff that a record company or a manager or a booking agent can do, th- those are all really important and significant parts of your team. Ultimately, the fan is going to trust you more than anyone else, right? They're going to like, and so what good partners do is they essentially put up billboards and they have megaphones and they do all these things that point to an artist and their socials. But what's going to happen is we know this from research. They're going to go to YouTube. They're going to go to Instagram. They're going to check you out there. And that's where the connection is going to happen. They might be curious after they see some brilliant marketing stunt that we did or hear your song on the radio, but where they're really going to connect and become a fan is when they are online. So getting your socials right, the look and feel, all the things we talked about, that they feel authentic, that the visuals fit the music, that you're active. You know, what's active mean? You know, active for 
I mean, you guys follow artists, I'm sure. Some of them are like twice a week. Some of them are twice an hour. They're on all the time. I think you have to find that cadence and you have to pay attention. You know what I mean? If you're posting and because if you post to, to any extent, you'll notice really quickly like, wow, when I we study this. So we notice for artist X and it can be very different artist to artist when they post um, cute pictures of their kids. It's like the number spike. They get a huge interaction with their fans. You know, this artist might be a scripture verse. It's it's completely different from artist to artist. And so it's eventually, hopefully, you have a team that's helping you with this, but early on, you're your own team. And it gets back to your vision and finding your own voice. And I think, I actually think socials, there's a lot that is challenging about it, right? Social media in our lives and what it's doing, and there, there's a lot of negativity around it, and a lot of that is deserved. I do love the fact, I think a positive is that you can speak directly to your fans. They can hear unfiltered from you. They can really get to know you, and you have the control. You can figure out what you want to post and how often you want to post it, so... Anyways, I think that's a really important part of, um, of building your artist's pro- profile. Lastly, for this list, I'll say a live show. Um, you know, a decade ago, this might have been on the universal list, but you guys are probably all aware of this. There's a ton of music that comes out now that's never performed live. There are a lot of people that do studio-only projects. Live performance, if you haven't done it, and those of you who've done it, you know it's really hard. I mean, you got to put a band together. you got to find a sound person, got to get somebody to, got to find a venue. You have to promote it and get people to show up. By the way, all that has to do with getting you on the stage so you can play a show. After you get to that point, the show has to be great. And while there's a lot of overlap between making great records and putting on a great live show, they're not identical. It's a different skill set. And I've watched it a lot over the years where I'll meet somebody with a lot of the attributes we've been talking about for the last bit, and they make a great record. And the record's really successful, and it gets played on the radio, and it's doing really well. And then it's time to go on tour. And they're, they're just not nearly as developed. They've spent all this time in their bedroom learning their instrument, writing songs, jamming with their friends. But when it's time to go on stage and make a connection with an audience, make a show that has flowed, we've all been to great concerts. We know that feeling when somebody's a master of it. They're just, like, amazing at what they do, whether it's, like, with big production or whether it's just somebody who's a great storyteller. They just know how to connect with an audience. That's a huge thing that's, that's often missing. So while I wouldn't put it on the universal list because you can have a successful career in music um, these days without being a great live performer, I think if you want to have a long career, um, it is a non-negotiable. It would go on that, that first list. So anyways, just in conclusion, I wanted to, to close by saying more than anything, it's not really what this talk is about, but what I was, I was thinking about seeing you guys today, I just hope you have a great sense of how important it is what you do. I have to remind myself that sometimes it's easy to just get caught up in all the stuff we just talked about. But when I was in college at the University of Miami, I remember walking around campus one day. And I grew up in a family where um, my mom meant very well, but I was kind of force-fed Christian music. And so I didn't love it. And I didn't, when I was my choice and I went to college, I didn't listen to it. And then somebody gave me this record and I started listening to it. And I was finding that I was thinking a lot about my relationship with God and where I fit in the world, and I thought the music was really great. I was impressed with it, too. And I remember thinking, um, if there was a job where you could try and make really world-class music, but at the same time, like, do what was being done for me, make me think about my life and where I fit in the world and what my relationship with God might be like, I, was, I thought I would give my life to that. I would do it. And I feel like there is a job. I have it. You know, and there's, there's more jobs like it, but... The important thing I think for you guys to know is there's a ton of kids like me out there. And there's just a lot of people in the world who 
if you go online and all, you feel it, right? There's a lot of hurt. People are looking for a lifeline. And there's something about music that's very mysterious. You know, it gets past defenses. I heard somebody say once, music's the only art form that doesn't need permission to enter your soul. Everything else, even a painting, you have to open your eyes, a film, you have to sit down and watch. Music, if you hear it, it's going in you. It's going in your body, and you're feeling it, you're thinking about it, and you're listening to it. And so, anyways, I, I, I honestly feel this. Like, I love all the arts, but I just think music is special. Like, it's special to God. It's special to the world. And, and you guys are on the front lines of what you're doing. So I appreciate your time and attention, and uh, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to part one of this episode of the Made It Music Podcast. Head to musicmakersbootcamp.com to learn more about our upcoming Music Makers Bootcamp and check out madeitinmusic.com for more content and episodes from this podcast. See you in the next episode.